Hello and welcome to uh, another episode of the 15 Minutes of Football Transfer New Central podcast. I'm once again joined by James and we were just discussing before we came on, James. Um, uh, you know, it, it's quite sad that uh, today on the filming of this podcast, Ray Clements has sadly passed away. Yeah, that's it's very, very sad. Um, obviously, send condolences to, to his family. Um, mm. Great goalkeeper for... Uh, Liverpool, Spurs, and England. England, of uh, course, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. We led into the game, really. Um, and there's, there's been a lot, really, hasn't there, of uh, deaths in the footballing world, and, and many being linked with Alzheimer's now as well, from people who lived, uh, who played football in the era really before the modern era came about. Um, so there's a lot of um, upset, really, at, 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 at that, and the lack of care, maybe that. That some footballers are getting when they, after their careers, say, um, yeah, those times. Yeah, that's right. Especially, you know, in the past, they played with much harder balls than they play with now. Mm. Um, but even then, yeah, there's. Uh, I think Alan showed a documentary on it as well. Mm. The amount of people, footballers who are getting dementia or um, issues, you know, neurological conditions. Yeah. After playing, it's, it's uh, it is it is it is worrying and. Yeah, you know something has to be done about that. And so, yeah, the FA, Premier League, whatever, have to somehow find a way to support people who are. Yeah, suffering. I mean Chris Chris Sutton's uh, father had it and died of it, and it was and it's it's worth noting as a disclaimer. Uh, Ray Clements I didn't get Alzheimer's, but while and it, you know of course it's very sad that uh, that he's passed uh, today, which would be uh, Sunday the fifteenth. But uh, it, it, I think it's also right to acknowledge as well. Uh, Given that there's been a, a lot of bleakness in the in in the news and the media about uh, former football heroes that that do develop these conditions and die of these conditions, um, mm. it's also important to raise that uh, at the same time. But ju- just in summary, really, um, as we say, that's a debate that could last hours and hours. And Chris Sutton did a wonderful piece on BT Sport about uh, the dangers of heading a ball uh, because, as I say, his dad uh, did die uh, of Alzheimer's. Um, as a result of heading the ball, they said. Uh, but yeah, just to just that could be that could last forever. But what we need to say, what we just need to touch on is yeah, uh, rest in peace to um, to Ray Clemens but, and um, yeah, uh, thoughts are with his family on uh, from everyone on this podcast and all of our team in the background. Um, but we have um, you know we have we have other topics as well to discuss uh, in terms of international football because. Um, you know, uh, this is going to be quite an internationally themed one. So instead of going through all of the topics at the start, I'm just going to go straight in and into the idea of of England themselves, the national team. Uh, they haven't actually played Belgium yet, but I'm sure <laughs> by the time this goes out, they will have done. Well, they will have definitely have done. And um, I just, I just think it's quite interesting to see where we fit in the in the world. I mean, well, I won't go into it politically in terms of where we fit into the world of politics. That's an entirely different debate, and I'm sure we could talk about that for hours um, in terms of our political um, spectrum in the world. But in terms of our footballing um, fit, uh, I was I was I was watching a, a, a piece a while ago actually, and it was saying when we had the golden generation: Gerard Lampard, Scholes, and Terry Ferdinand, Ashley Cole, Gary Neville, uh, Rooney, Owen. Beckham, etc. And we lauded it as a team that should have won all these tournaments. And then someone posed the question, yeah, but in Germany and in Italy and in Spain and in France and in Brazil and, 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 and Spain, 
the the the, you know, the whole narrative in those countries probably would have been we have our own our own golden generations you know spain and with uh, when they were 2008 in the noughties 2008 2010 and then going into the next decade 2012 winning two european championships in the world cup sergio ramos Ike casillas gerard Piquet, uh david via fernando torres xavi mm. iniesta um <laughs> brazil um cafu ronaldinho the original ronaldo um Mine's gone blank a bit now, but a, a, a number of phenomenally uh, talented players in the Brazilian team, uh, Kaká as well. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, you look Italy, Buffon, Chiellini, um, Maldini, Nesta, Cannavaro, Pirlo. I mean, you can roll them up. I, I mean, I've been a bit. I'm not going to go through all the teams that I've mentioned because we'll be here all day. But the point is, is it this? Do we have? Do we have this sort of? blindness in this country even then to think that we were sort of uh, had a god-given right to win things because our team was so good did we sort of were we were we were we rose tinted glass were we wearing rose tinted glasses because all it takes to you know look at the other teams and think well they could compete with england because they too had amazing sets of players yeah that's right but yeah there is a there is a kind of there's always been this sense of entitlement with england fans like um that we're kind of it's that we have the right to to be the best team in the world and to always finish at you know at the top end of major tournaments and uh, and which is ironic considering we've only won one you know entire history uh and that was nearly 60 years ago <laughs> um although you could argue that we were, we could have we could have won at least a couple since then but uh but yeah, that team, that golden generation. It, I mean, it really was a golden generation. It was there were some, it was there were lots of world class players in that team. You know, I mean, you know, Rooney is in his prime. Uh, you know, David Beckham in his prime. Lampard, Gerrard, Ashley Cole, Don Terry, Rio Ferdinand. You know, um, there were a lot of really good players that, on ability alone, should have probably won at least one tournament. Um, Part of it was mismanagement, I think. Mm. You know, tactics and things like that. Um, they weren't used well. Part of it, and I think I've seen, I've seen actually the, the players themselves talk about this since, in that a lot of them were playing for the top teams in England. So you had Stephen Gerrard and Jamie Carragher playing for Liverpool. You had Rio Ferdinand and and a few others playing for Man United. And you had you know John Terry, Frank Lampard, actually Cole playing for Chelsea and they were club rivals and they used to and I've heard Rio and Lampard talk about this on BT Sport a few years ago that they used to sit in separate tables they were all kind of little cliques you know and they wouldn't tell each other stuff because they didn't because they were competing with each other and mm. that's not good for the spirit <laughs> um, you know it's that that probably wouldn't have helped Tribalism. Tribalism. As, it appears that they weren't quite as much of a team as it should have been. Yeah. And you can understand it to, to an extent because they were top, they were all top players at top clubs competing with each other. Mm. And, you know, that's the kind of mentality almost that you want as a, as a club player, but it doesn't help at international level. And one thing that they've got right now, it seems, is, they've, is that they don't have that. They've got, it's very much a team England perspective like the, the, the squad is very united and they play for each other and they're friends 
with each other and you know that club rivalries are kind of put aside when you go and play for England and that's a good thing if we'd had that with that generation 10-15 years ago they might have won something uh, well yeah uh, I think you, yeah, you I mean, that's, 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 they would have won something, but they would have I think they would have had a better chance because they didn't do they, they underachieved without any question getting to just quarterfinals they should have got to at least a semi-final if not mm. further than that well, yeah, no. The point, the point I was sort of trying to to draw from that was was I was sort of enticing you in uh, because there's there's always parallels, and I, and I look back to that noughties era when I was growing up, actually, and just after that, and we often lauded how did they not win things, and you've discussed how they didn't win things in many ways. And my point was that you know if the Brazil team, the great Brazil team that I think will uh, woke up in two thousand two, if great France team, I think. Woke up in 98 euros in 2000, uh, Italy mm. in 2006. If they didn't win something, arguably their own media representatives would be going, why aren't we winning anything? You know, I feel like it's because, you know, it, again, I was trying to sort of decipher because, you know, we weren't, so we weren't the best team in the world, period. There was, we were part of an elite group. And, and, as, I, and as you said, there's a reason, I think, why we didn't necessarily get as far as we could have done. But again, Maybe we we expected too much because we did we looked at other teams and they had equally good sets of players with world class people in them uh, and yeah. they won things. Um, and just to draw that to now, which is wh- where we're going with this, um, do but we're well personally. I don't think the nations were as strong. The big nations were as strong as they were at the start of the noughties and into the noughties. I don't think they are really. Um, but but where do we stand now in the in the world? Where where are we in the, in our in our in terms of our national team because while the other teams aren't as strong we aren't as strong either on paper but there's still a sense of optimism growing with England fans that we can actually do something at this tournament but yet you look at the other teams France, Portugal um, with I'm looking at the European Championships now France, Portugal, Germany themselves again um, Spain less, lesser ex- to a lesser extent really uh, there's talent there. There's genuine talent there. I, yeah. I look, yeah, I look at Portugal's team. And I think that that is that could win a tournament. It's yeah. it's stacked full of superstars. So where yeah. do we stand, James? Yeah, I kind of agree with you. There's some there's some talented teams out there. You know, like you, know, you say Portugal, Germany. Um, Germany look very strong at the moment. Actually, mm. they've got another generation of players coming through. You know, that uh, starting to look good. Uh, you know, and. Yeah, and, and we I think we've got some talented players in our mm. squad. I think mm. we have. I don't think they're all being used properly. Mm. Uh, we've kind of alluded to this before on the show. Mm. That, yeah, there's some, especially in attacking sense, there's some really great players, potential players coming through, and ones that we already have. You know, you have Harry Kane, who's one of, probably one of the best strikers in the world. You know, mm. um, you'd say Raheem Sterling is one of the best attacking players in the world, probably. Um, mm. I mean, they just get into the team. Mm. Um, they get into a lot of international teams. So, and then you've got younger players, you know, you've got like Grealish, Sancho, you know, um, and like the squad is filled out pretty strongly because behind those players, you have behind Kane, you have Calvert Lewin and Tammy Abraham and, and others, um, Jamie Vardy, if he's, I know he's not available anymore, but um, he's retired, but. Yeah, you have you still have a lot of attacking strength, but it's. I think this is a this is a trend in football as well that there's, defensively, it's not, 
it's not yeah. strong. Um, in terms of fullbacks, England are quite strong, especially at right back. Um, hmm. <laughs> we talked about this before as well because you've got Alexander Arnold, you've got Reese James, you've got Kyle Walker, you've got, and there's others, you know. Um, so, I'm Bissaka, you know, so they've, they've kind of got a, an abundance at, at, uh, at right back, but uh, yeah. They've definitely got a strong team. It's not a weak team. It's a team mm. that could be competitive. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's the best team, mm. but uh, it's definitely a team that can be competitive, especially in the yeah. Euro. I think. I think there's. I think there's. I think it's fair to not expect, but it's fair to have confidence that you could get to the semi-finals. Mm. You know, you could if you you know with that with that squad, you could achieve that. And I think. Mm. If they got there, that would be a good achievement. And then if they get any further than that, that's a great achievement. You know, I mean, to be fair, we got to the World Cup semi-finals a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, that was over. That was an overachievement, I think. Mm. Actually, mm. Um, mm. I don't think anyone expected us to get that far. Uh, so, but I think you've added there's players that have come into the squad since then who will have improved us. So, you know, you think you could get to the semi-finals of the Euros? Uh, mm. Yeah. So. In terms of winning a tournament, I think part of winning a tournament is about part of it's about luck as well. Yeah, it's not always the best team that wins the tournament wins an international tournament. Actually, mm. um, you know we've had teams that have been you would think well they're brilliant they should they should win the tournament easily and then they go out in the group stages. You know um, that's happened before. So yeah, anything can happen. Uh, but I would expect England to. Get to to get to the to get to the finals at minimum mm. in the Euros and get to the semi-finals would be that's if I was going to say that's where I'd be looking to get to and you then say, after that would be kind of a bonus you know like mm. to get to the final that's that's an achievement as well yeah. you know if you, if you win it then that's that's incredible yeah yeah because I don't, of course it's I don't think we can expect to to just walk in and win it is the four <laughs> is is the four um, is the four European teams? We'll stick to European team uh, because we don't actually have a World Cup until twenty <laughs> until twenty twenty two. That's that's weird um, because it's just one year after. But uh, is the because you say semi finals? I can think if you said which national teams do you think look on paper to be better than what England have? I'd probably say France, Portugal. Mm. Germany, maybe. Yeah, yeah, Germany. And I also think the Netherlands. I think the Netherlands have got quite a quite a thing going there with a blend of uh young players and I mean particularly defence. You've got uh De Vrij, De Ligt, and Dijk, um, which which is which is quite a, a you know a, a, an overabundance of talent at centre half. Uh going that you got further forward, you've got Memphis Depay, who is sort of Sort of a more one of the more experienced players, and there's some younger players in forward positions as well. Genie Wijnaldum in mean, midfield, experienced. Uh, you got Daniel Van der Beek for United. You've got um, you have uh, De Jong from Barcelona. I I don't know. I, I I think there's a. I think we've got we're right to have optimism, but I think a lot of people have been saying, "Oh, Gareth Southgate should play four three three, and we should play this kind of football." Well, maybe. You know, if if you do look at some of those teams, you can't suddenly play as Gareth Southgate and some others have sort of suggested. You can't play four three three, four three three, four three three. Then when a team's better than you, go to three four three, 
and sort of see it seamlessly work. Mm. So I think that he's got a lot of stick for it. And I know you're not a big fan of the of the three at the back with England. And I know it has its limitations, but if yeah. England do happen to get to the latter stages and then they and then throw throw out the three four three against a team that could potentially do harm to them, then you know, you, you risk players being confused and, and you don't want that, particularly at the latter stage of a major tournament. I mean, Gareth Southgate said several times in the Euros, he perfected one way of playing, a system that could get him so far because you can't, you don't have time to chop and change because you don't see the players in it. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's, I think it's wise for him to test out different formations and try and get his players experienced in playing different formations, at least two different formations, yeah. you know, because... Yeah. Because uh, it helps to be able to have an option to play a different formation mm. if you need to, and mm. to be able to switch into that. Uh, and you're right, you know, he can't. Uh, I'm not. I mean, yeah, I'm. I'm not a fan. Of, the only reason I'm not a fan of the back with England is because I don't believe it gets the best out of our best players. But as a tactic against specific opposition, mm. I'm in favour of it. You know, because it can work and it can get you results. It just depends on the opposition. I just don't think it should be our first choice formation. It should be something we're able to play if we need to play it against specific opposition. And uh, as long as we're well drilled in it and we know how to play it, and we've got match experience playing it, which we have now, yeah. we've got quite a lot of match experience playing it, uh, that's great. You know, I've got no problem with it uh, nope. in that respect. Topic two moves seamlessly on, wonderfully on actually from that in that and we, you, you mentioned this actually, James, as something to bring up. So I think it's right to mention that you mentioned it to me. Jack Grealish um, is a player that is basically, um, I suppose, it's like an, an, a national hero in many ways. He, I think everyone seems to love him when he gets interviewed. They like his laid back style. They love him on the pitch. He wears kids' um, shin pads, uh, which is quite funny because he, when he's dribbling, his legs look huge. Um, but he is um, he is a phenomenal player, and um, you know he did really yeah. well against um, against against Ireland. As when my went blank then for a second, and I think we have it on good knowledge. So I think he does start today because I've read a few reports saying he's starting against Belgium. So you will know if he has started against Belgium if I am an oracle or not. Um, but I think he does, and. Um, what I would like to flag up, actually, is that in the 3-4-3, which England played against Ireland, uh, Mason Mount played as one of the two number sixes, so like in the, in the double pivot, and Jack Grealish was at left wing, uh, and it worked really well, didn't it, in that particular game? Yeah, that's right, it did, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad Jack Grealish is starting, because... Uh, yeah, he it's it's he's earned it. I mean, he's earned it. Um, his performances for for Aston Villa have been excellent this season. He's he's a huge talent, and he deserves an opportunity to play to to show what he can do. Uh, and I'd, I'd like him to get a run in the team if possible, because uh, and then okay, then you can say you know if he, if he has a run in the team, and then he doesn't play well, then you can say, well, look, I gave him a run, I gave him an opportunity, gave him a chance to prove himself at this level, right? And then you. can you know, don't just drop him after one game. Yeah, because we've had this before where with like Glenn Hoddle, it happened with Glenn Hoddle, he'd get picked for one game and then and be brilliant and then get dropped again. You know, and that's uh, Leticia was the same, actually. Um, he had the same problem. So there's always these kind of players that 
that crop up in England and don't get a fair crack of the whip. And I just want him to get that. Uh, that's all that. And that's all that most fans want. They don't saying he has to start like for good now, like and never drop him. It's just mm. give him an opportunity to show how good he is. Uh, because he performs as well as he has been at international level, uh, that's great for England because he's, he's clearly a top talent. And uh, so, yeah, I hope he does well. And obviously, sometimes he might not fit in tactically. If you're playing a 3-4-3, maybe he's not the right player to start that kind of game. But um, if you're playing a 4-3-3, you can definitely play him. Um, you definitely fit into that. Do you like the idea of Mount as a double pivot six and then Grealish as a left wing? Because that's what it was against uh, Ireland. Uh, Grealish was the left wing, Mount was deeper. I personally think, you're a Chelsea fan, so you can uh, do better insight than me on this, but I think Mount's played as a deeper midfielder before, hasn't he, at Chelsea? I think at Derby a little bit um, further back. Um, and I think he's more suited to that than he is in one of the more advanced positions, which Grealish was yeah. occupying. His best position is a box-to-box eight. So starting from deep, you know, and then making forward runs. A lot like Frank Lampard used to do, actually, because he used to start from deep and then make forward runs and score goals um, and create goals. And that's very similar to what Mason Mount does. He could, He's very good at pressing. He's positionally very good. He works really hard. He's got an incredible work ethic, tons of energy. So, yeah, he could play that position without any question. Mm. Uh, if it was, I think it was. If it was a more of a, if it was a deeper position, then coming forward when t- when the team attacks, mm. that would make that would probably suit him. Uh, but yeah, his he, he wherever you wherever you pick him, he tends to just give a hundred percent, work hard, you know, press well, you know, defend well. Whatever job. That's the thing about Mason Mount is he can mm. play a number of different positions and whatever position you put him in, he'll play it and he won't complain. He's very really no. professional uh, and he does, a, he does a really good job wherever you play him. So yeah, he could do that. It's probably like a pure six probably isn't his best position, but he could play it. Um, a kind of deeper, deeper box to box eight. That would work. You know, you is could it, play that. Is it like a, so you say like, well, it's like four, two, three, one double pivot. He can play as one of the double pivot in a two. And he then could. the other one sits deeper, and then he's up and down. Yeah, the other one. Yeah, the other one. The other. Yeah, in a pivot, like you have one which would, who would sit really deep and just stay deep, kind of, and mm. certain defense. And he would, when when defending, he would go alongside him, and when attacking, he kind of link up the midfield and link up the defense and and the attack kind of thing. He's yeah. that well. Well, a four-two-three-one is like a, a, a safe, pragmatic four-three-three, isn't it? It's a safer you know, yeah, alternative. Kind of. Yeah, but for England, obviously, I think the even though we you speculate, well, Grealish can play in a four-three-three, and but it does look like Gareth Southgate's point of view, it will be three-four-three for the for the tournament because that's what he keeps playing now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but with Mount in the six in the double six double pivot, sorry, uh, Grealish at left wing, that was almost like this is still three-four-three, but it's a bit more expansive than what you perceive three-four-three to be. Because Mount's a bit more attacking, isn't he, than your average player in the in the pivot of a three four three, and Grealish is still on the pitch. So it's it is three four three, but it's more fluid, I suppose, when you've got Mount in the side, uh, because he's a more attacking option than in previous uh, games when it's been Rice and Henderson. 
in which case they're two slightly more defensive minded players than maybe Mount is. Absolutely, yeah. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you had like Rice and Henderson together, that's quite defensive. Uh yeah. Are you talking about in a pivot or in a three four in the three four yeah, three? Yeah, in the three four three, yeah. In a three four three I wouldn't have I I would I'd like I wouldn't mind seeing Mount and Henderson and Rice or Henderson in that because then you'd have a more defensive kind of player and then and you'd also have a more attacking kind of player but who is good at the press and good at um defending, you know, uh, has a discipline, work ethic and and can create stuff. You know, he can create stuff and he can score goals. Um, you know, he can when he's in that position. Um he can. And there's no you don't have to worry about him defensively, Mason Mount. Mm. So you put him alongside Henderson or, or Rice, yeah, that would work. That would absolutely work, I think. And it would it wouldn't hurt us defensively, England defensively, and it wouldn't mm. And it would add something attacking-wise as well, because mm. you could push forward when, when you're attacking. And you'd probably play that against a, a deep block team, wouldn't you? Maybe not against a Germany or, a, or, no. or, or someone yeah. of that ilk. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You'd probably play Henderson and, um, and Rice then, wouldn't you? Um, and the thing about, actually, Declan Rice is interesting because his passing is actually quite good. Mm. You know, he's, he, he's very good defensively, obviously, but... His his passing range has actually improved a lot, so he can mm. he can create stuff from deep, um, you know, from midfield. Uh, he's not a playmaker, but he can definitely pass the ball around and get the ball get the ball forward. So he's not mm. just like in there defending all the time. So he does give you something in terms of attacking play. Well, yeah. So this sort of we sort of built build this around built this little fifteen minutes about around Grealish and. And looked at because I and I bring Mount into the discussion because for some reason everyone seems to have hated on Mason Mount uh, because of Jack Grealish, which Jack Grealish himself addressed and said, "I actually like Mason Mount. We get on really well. I think he's a good player." And everyone a lot now he's getting a lot of support, which he should do because it's just yeah. strange to it's strange if we big up one player that another player has to come down as a result of that. It shouldn't be the case. Um, but I think um, that well, I personally. Before anyone, before you or anyone says, I personally think Grealish should be in England starting eleven. But just to play oh, the devil's advocate, if it was in a three-four-three and it was a tight game and he was on the bench and it was at the seventieth minute, what better player to come on and unlock a door when the game's nil-nil than Jack Grealish? Absolutely, he's the perfect player to do that. Yeah, you bring him if you're struggling to win a game or you're losing or whatever, uh, you bring him on. Um, and he can unlock something, yeah. He can make something happen out of nothing. That's the thing yeah. about And that's a game changer, but game changers sometimes don't necessarily start. And people used to say with Mesut Ozil, when Mesut Ozil was very good, uh, he was, I think Jerry Carragher said on Monday Night Football once, he was a game changer because in a split second he could make a pass and that could be a result in a goal. But for 89 minutes, he could go missing. And that was, I suppose that's why the dying art, the art number 10 arts kind of dying out a lot because. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting one because as a Chelsea fan, like Eden Hazard is this kind of player as well. Hmm. Now, Eden Hazard is world class, but, you know, I wonder what would have happened if he'd been English, you know. <laughs> um, because well, he just, was just, tired. Just, basically, he never did. He never had any. He didn't have any defensive work ethic, really. He just, he just wanted to go and express himself and attack and beat defenders and create things and things. Mm. So you had to. Chelsea had to have William on the other side who did all the defensive work and covered for him 
And so he didn't have to track back. Now, so you kind of built the team around him, and that actually worked, didn't it? I mean, he was yeah. really effective. Yeah. So that's, that's what basically a succession of Chelsea managers built a team around him. But is uh, Southgate's tough treatment, treatment of Grealish said to stop him from being that um, game changer and make, instead make him that person who's always in and involved in the game as the one not, who doesn't yeah, go I, missing for long periods? Grealish has a decent work ethic, though, as well. I mean, he's not. He's not lazy, uh, oh. but he's the kind of player you can build a team around. Mm. He's that kind of player you can, but that means you have to build the team. Yeah, I mean, when you build a team around, that means you've got to tailor it to his strengths. Yeah, uh, and it's more and to express himself. And we're not well, really should... good at doing that in England. And I've just wrote a piece on this actually, so that's why I feel quite informed on it. But it's more modern to to build systems that don't rely on individuals, that it is to make an individual the system, yeah, isn't it? that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh, Jürgen Klopp, Jürgen Klopp, does it? Sense. Yeah, it Pep Guardiola, Klopp. If a player gets injured, then you're screwed. You know, <laughs> um, whereas if you have a system that works and then players can just slot in, then that, that, that's more, that tends to be more conducive to success, you know. Uh, and the top players can generally fit into systems. Anyway, um, but there are still those kind of, and they're less, they're less, they're more rare now. Uh, those mm. kind of players like Grealish, where um, it, they well, they play better when you when you tailor your tactics a little to suit their strengths. Mm. And the question is, are you willing to make that sacrifice, you know, to to allow that kind of talent to shine, or are you more concerned with having a system that works, even if the player doesn't doesn't quite fit the system. Like you know, this is why Jose Mourinho has always had problems with these kind of players because he has a certain system and a certain style of play. And if you don't fit that, it doesn't matter how good you are, then yeah, you're out, kind of thing. Well, sure, surely that's Jose Mourinho, Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, Antonio Conte. Surely that's yeah, every, every, all of them. Yeah, yeah but I yeah. mean, I mean, flair players have suffered under Jose Mourinho, haven't mm. they? Um, the only exception to that was really when Cristiano, we had Cristiano Ronaldo, who you have to build a team around in a way because he's one of the best players of all time. So absolutely. Um, so any manager would, who's sensible would build a team around him. So yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but generally, yeah, he's he's not been so good with those kind of players. No, uh, but, no, yeah. not so much. But anyway, that's that's a nice way to sort of finish that, I guess. Um, and then moving moving on to part three, uh, which which to keep with the international theme, we'll go through some of the uh, some of the results of the past uh, few days. Uh, this will be updated, of course. Um, there is when we say the past few days, this was filmed on a Sunday, so of course we're not just blanking out uh, today's tonight Sunday night and Monday's results. We do. We aren't that silly. Uh, we're just working <laughs> with, with with the present time at this moment and. One game in particular that stood out for me was the uh, Portugal-France game. And now I've touched on this a bit before, uh, how I think these are two of the best teams in Europe and the world right now. Uh, and, I, and France is incredible, really, James, I think, because <laughs> Didier Deschamps is, is a, he's a World Cup winning manager and yet he plays a very... He doesn't conform to the progressive ideals that some other managers do. Instead, he prefers a much more pragmatic style. And he also has some strange selection um, choices in that he feels like he doesn't have to take Eric Laporte, who I think is one of the best five centre-backs in the world, because yeah. 
And, and, and this that's indicative of France's depth in many ways. The fact he doesn't necessarily get on with Laporte, it must be a personal issue because as a city defender, he's fantastic on the ball and off the ball. So he can so he can choose other players like Kimpembe, who played last night, or Kazuma, or Rami has also played. And I find I find that the avoidance of Laporte baffling. But France's depth before I get onto the uh, onto the game is absolutely ridiculous. And I remember two two years ago when someone made one of those lineup builder things, and he made three or four 11s that you felt on paper looked like really competitive, strong 11s. And, and it was bad, it was but mind-boggling. So Didier Deschamps can manage the team, have certain issues with certain players, and no one will notice because they've got someone else who's at a similar level to just come in and take his place. Exactly. They've got so many, so many they've got such a strong squad. You know, I mean, mm. they're midfield as well. Like you've got yeah. Pogba and Kante and stuff. And someone like Kamavinga, who is mm. like one of the best young midfield players in the world, like he's going to mm. be an absolute elite player. He's not even in the team. Yeah. Right? If he was another, if he was playing for most other countries, he mm. would probably be in the first team. Does he have an English uh, passport? We'll get him over. Yeah, no, I'd love him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sadly mm. not, unfortunately. But, mm. but that's the point. They've got so much strength in depth. You know, uh, like ben, Benzema can't get in the team. Mm. You know. Uh, that's more, that's more of an outside, off the pitch issue, isn't it? Yeah. Thing, yeah. You've got to say the system with Giroud as the target man and then kind of um, Griezmann and Mbappe playing off him works. So you mm. could legitimately say, I mean, it won them, won them the World Cup. So you could legitimately say that, that, that he's not needed in a way to start games, even though he's a top player. Mm. Uh, again, another one who would start for most countries. You know, it's, uh, yeah, the, the amount of depth they have is, is, is quite terrifying, really. Yeah, they are. They're definitely one of the best teams in the world right now. And they beat Portugal 1-0 and Galo Kante scored. And he played, actually, as as the number six defensive midfielder in this team. And he was brilliant. He was brilliant, wasn't he? By all the he got man of the match, scored a goal. Um, dictate, actually, dictator play rather well against an excellent Portugal team. Consistently mopping up the danger in the midfield, in front of the centre-backs. And... We've seen it actually a little bit with Frank Lampard this season. Lampard's been choosing to play Angelo Kante as a lone defensive midfielder. And yeah. lo and behold, even though there's, there's still a bit of, uh, we still need a bit more evidence, I think, to see to see it long term, but the signs are pretty good, aren't they? He seems to be a yeah. bit more disciplined now. I always felt that, that as he got older, he would have to adapt his game um, and become like Stephen Gerrard did to a certain extent. Uh, and you know, become more of a sitting player and, you know, more disciplined. Uh, I always felt like he had it in his locker to do that. Uh, and I think, especially after last season when he was injured, like 50% of the season, mm. he missed 50% of the games. Uh, mm. I think that they're being more careful with him and then trying not to play him in that kind of ordering role where he kind of bustles past everybody. Uh, and it's working at the moment because, yeah, like you say, he's playing number six for, for France and for Chelsea and he's and being effective mm. and he looks like he's developing into that role um, he's, yeah so yeah I mean yeah I mean France are just yes, very very strong but, but Portugal yeah. as well James their opponents I mean just going through the starting 11 uh, is 
it's quite something. You've got Reed Patricio, who we may, I mentioned on this podcast has been one of my best five keepers in the league, which caused a bit of debate on social media. Um, also, Jao Cancelo, Ruben Diaz, Rafael Guerrero. Oh my gosh, Guerrero from um, Dortmund. My tongue's stuck somewhere there. I don't know where it went. Um, William Cavallio, Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, Cristiano Ronaldo, Jao Felix. Mental. Yeah. Mental. Yeah, incredible team. And, uh, and they've got lots of young players beyond that who are also very yeah. capable. It's, you know, it, it is it is quite something. You've got Nelson Smedo from Wolves, Jean Moutinho, Ruben Neves, also from Wolves. You've got basically the whole of Wolves. Uh, you've, got <laughs> Di- <laughs> you've got Diogo Jota, uh, Pedro Neto also. <laughs> you've got quite a lot of players from Wolves. Uh, but again, it is it it's remarkable, and it really, I think it's often forgotten actually that they won the European Championships in 2016, courtesy of that strange long range goal from Ed Air that caught Larice out. Uh, it was a good goal actually, to be fair, a bit harsh saying strange. But they have, and Ronaldo as the striker, the main striker now, seen as that's kind of the way he's going. Uh, the older he gets, it's. Not beyond the realms of possibility that even though they lost to France, that Portugal could win the next European Championships because they have a great team. Yeah, they have, they have got a really great team. Uh, mm. I'm a big fan of Yao Felix as well. I Ooh. think uh, mm. that guy's got world class potential and and probably better in that setup than Atletico's setup because they've oh, got absolutely. Much I think I still think he needs to leave Atletico to really fulfil his potential because. Atletico doesn't play a kind of football that really allows him to be mm. at his best and to express yeah. himself. And I think, I mean, the only good thing that he'll get out of that time of Atletico is maybe he'll learn a bit of defensive discipline and, mm. you know, work ethic or whatever. But yeah, I think, yeah, I, I can see him moving to a, a bigger club and a, and a club which plays the right kind of football. Well, those games are in group. Uh, sorry, those games are in UEFA Nations League Group B. Uh, sorry, uh, UEFA Nations League Group A, League A, Group Three. It's very confusing this UEFA Nations League system. But <laughs> France, but France topped that group, uh, four wins and a draw. At this point, I must stress before anyone says they've already played another game, and you've not caught up. But this is on Sunday night, um, so that at this moment, that's where it stands. And and Portugal. Three wins a draw, and the only defeat was was on that against France uh, at their home stadium. But also in UEFA Nations League Group League A Group Four. Stress it, again; it can be quite difficult getting that uh, all the wording right. Germany with a three-one win, and we talked about Germany before actually as a as another team with a. It's amazing actually, James, when when, when we. We're talking up Germany now. They had a horrendous World Cup in 2016, didn't they? Like, really bad. They were out in the group stages. A lot of that team looked like it were on its last legs. Jürgen Lohr, the manager who'd won the World Cup in... um, Sorry, World Cup 2018, not 2016. Jürgen Lohr, the manager who'd won the World Cup in 2014, was on the brink because people thought he was going to go. But, you know, the German FA said, we're going to stick with the manager. He's given us success. He's done really well in his in his position. And, you know, the manager, to be fair to him, he got rid of a lot of the older players. He got rid of Muller, got rid of Hummels. Um, I think he got rid of Boateng as well. I'm not 100% on that, but he definitely got rid of um, Muller and Hummels. He also decided... He kept Manuel Neuer, which I think is a decision vindicated. 
He then brought a plethora of young players through and decided that he wanted to create a new dynasty, I guess, as the German national team manager, which I guess is what you have to do to stay in the national team position the longest. You can't have, can't make way for, you can't have sentimentality with all the people that have done you well in the past. You've got to be brutal. And they won, they won 3 1 against Ukraine, 3 4 3, ironically, they went with. Although Antonio Rudiger, your favourite player, was in the in the centre of defence, and maybe that's why <laughs> they felt the need to do that. But Timo Werner with two goals, Leroy Sané with one, and that front three, Serge Gnabry, Timo Werner, and Leroy Sané, is incredibly good, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah, absolutely. They're all they're all kind of top players, aren't they? I mean, yeah. I can't say much about it. I mean, we've we, we all we seen how Timo Werner is for Leipzig and for Chelsea. We've, and see, we've seen the other two for for, for, for Bayern and mm. yeah. And of course, Kai Havertz is it wasn't even in the squad because he no. has coronavirus and he's he's seen as a big hope in Germany, um, the kind of next great young player, attacking midfielder. So he'll be part of that team as well when well, you know eventually. And well, yeah. I know we talk up uh, Jadon Sancho a lot. And I don't have the luxury of always seeing him perform every week. And usually when he, I do see him, he, uh, he does usually perform quite well, but uh, not so much this season. Um, but I think Serge Gnabry is if equally as good, if not better. I mean, every time I see Serge Gnabry play, I think he plays with maturity beyond his years. I think he's such an accomplished footballer at the highest level as well in those latter stages of the Champions League. Uh, when it resumed itself in August, I thought he was outstanding. On that, getting onto that left foot, he is an absolute gem of a player, I think. Um, so to have him and them, him and Sane on the sides, uh, not only for Germany but for Bayern as well, that is quite something. And just going through some of the other players, Leon Goretzka, for me, one of the best midfielders in the world uh, at Bayern Munich. Got Gundogan, plays for Manchester City fairly regularly. You've got Ginter, you've got Kimmich, who's outstanding. What, Kimmich is for me the best defensive midfielder or right back in the in the world. Got Manuel Neuer, Otter Stegen, and England to compete. You know they're juggling Pickford, um, Pope, and and Henderson, and and, and in Germany have Neuer and Stegen, two of the best five keepers in the world to choose from. So, and like you say, James, this was without um, this was without Kai Havertz, and, and Julian Brandt came off the bench. So. <laughs> It's the only issue I think with Germany, I suppose, is, is in the centre of defence, where I don't think they have the strength that they maybe had when Mats Hummels is still playing. Now they they decided to essentially move on from him, and I don't think you got you know against against Ukraine, Robin Koch uh, from Leeds, Nicolas Sula from Bayern, and Antonio Rudiger in the back three, not as strong as elsewhere maybe in the team in centre back position for Germany. Yeah, the centre back. The back thing is not their strength. Yeah, mm. uh, they're not as well stocked in those positions as they are further forward. Mm. That's for sure. Um, like us. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's, I've said, I think I said this somewhere before that you know, centre backs are not top world class centre backs are kind of a dying breed. There's not as many of them mm. as there used to be. Um, you know, there still are world class centre backs out there. You know, there are definitely more. We'll, and we'll sure we'll talk about that later, but it, but it's, mm. yeah, you're right. And especially, I mean, for Germany, they're for England as well. It's not, it's not the strongest position. And, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, you've got Antonio and Rudiger as one of your stars. 
<laughs> yeah, you're not, you're not, you can't say you're really blessed in the in the centre back category. And he's not a bad centre back. I'm saying that, um, but you know, he's not like up with your Van Dykes or the Ports or anything. You know, he's not, uh, which is what you would want as an international team. Would you say maybe maybe Harry Maguire level, perhaps? Yeah, probably. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I'd say that. So again, that doesn't that's not even an insult. That doesn't mean it's bad, but I know what you mean. Uh I can see what you mean. Actually, just two more results I'd like to go through. There's a lot to go through uh in terms of recent uh European UEFA Nations League and friendly results. But uh there'll be even more in a few days. But uh Switzerland won Spain one made me laugh because Sergio Ramos, who had converted his previous 25 penalties, so a bit of a marksman from the spot, missed two in the same game. Including a Penenka, which went wrong. So I suppose I can sympathise with Adam Ola Luckman. And I suppose uh, they were 1 0 down Switzerland at this point, but they did get a late equaliser um, but, uh, to spare Ramos's blushes a little bit. But um, but yeah, Gerard Moreno late on uh, for Spain. I don't think Spain necessarily have bounced back in the same way that other teams have. I know they've got lots of young, talented players, uh, but Sergio Busquets was made, uh, started in uh, CDM again for for Spain and it, a few were perplexed that um, Jose Enrique didn't go with um, Saul or an alternative uh, performer and you know looking through some of the players you've got good players like uh, on the starting players like Paul Torres very good ball playing centre-back you've got Regulion starts with Tottenham and got Ferran Torres Man City Daniel Olmo decent striker um, but it's not it's not quite as exciting as maybe some of the other nations I guess uh, we, we, you know, we're not expecting a, a renaissance, are we? Really, or at this European Championships from Spain? But I don't know. They've got some good young talent. Maybe they could surprise yeah, a few with Sergio Ramos. Yeah, you never know. I mean, that's it. You never know. No. Um, they've got they've got players. If they put a run together and get some good form, that they could mm. they could do something. Mm. But you wouldn't think so with given the other quality that's around. So. Yeah, yeah, but they're, they're not to be underestimated, that's for sure. Yeah, and I just want a final, final word is uh, UEFA Nations League D, Group 2, San Marino 0, Gibraltar 0. San Marino have, con- have recorded back-to-back clean sheets in the past two games and they were crying at full-time and they were absolutely delighted. I think that was quite a nice uh, a nice little narrative for them. And they're in the same group as Liechtenstein. So there's a little three of them going at it there and I think it's, uh, I think it's wonderful to see. I watched a few highlights of that game and it was... Yeah. It was it was different. What it's like for a team that that doesn't keep ever clean clean, clean sheets ever. It's probably so, like one of my old five aside teams, to be honest. It's that kind of two in a row. Yeah, you know, you just it's like expectations, isn't it? You know, but, absolutely yeah. euphoric. Onto the oppositional analysis piece, and you touched on it before. We're looking at centre backs and the and how that position is maybe evolved and changed over time, and and what we expect from it now. And we'll include our top five Premier League centre backs. Um, in in our in our opinion, in that piece. So, I guess when when we talk about centre backs, James, you touched on it. We could have, I can think of quite a lot now, actually, of brilliant ball playing defenders or, or people who play at centre back who are very good at passing the ball. That's David Luiz, excellent, outstanding. John Stones, very very good. Uh, we talked about Paul Torres, um, also very good, Spanish ball playing centre back. And then I can think of some more rugged centre-backs who are very, very good defensively in a deep block. My own team, Ben Mee, very, very solid central defender in terms of defending first. 
And we go back over the years, you've got John Terry, who was at Nemanja Vidic, who were brilliant, no-nonsense, old-school centre-backs who just got the job done. No thrills, no spills. They were fantastic defenders first. And I suppose we talked a bit about this with Aaron Wambasaka last week when we were talking about right-backs. The modern-day full-back progression has sort of affected the way we perceive Wambasaka because 10 years ago, he might have been regarded as the best in the division because he did everything that we expected of an old-fashioned full-back. And in the same way, I suppose those hard, rugged, no-nonsense defenders are being oppressed, I guess, as a result of the progressive times that football is in at the moment because there doesn't seem to be a place for them in many of the bigger teams yeah yeah we've yeah it's the same pattern isn't it you know you've got to you've got to be good on the ball you've got to get good at passing distribution all of those things uh as well as the actual job of defending uh i can st- i mean to be honest i still judge defenders primarily center backs in particular primarily on their ability to defend because mm. that's their primary job mm. uh I, obviously, it's obviously nowadays in the in the modern game, it's important to be able to pass the ball and be good, and be good, and be comfortable in possession, and all of those mm. things. Mm. Those things are important; they are. Um, but you can, but like David Ruiz is a great example of this. You can do those things, mm. but if you can't defend, then you're no good as a defender. Mm. Um, like, I mean, because David Ruiz is is we know is prone to the most ridiculous defensive errors, mm. you know, and. To me, he's he's a great he's a great uh, passer out from the back. His his distribution is phenomenal. His passing mm. is exceptional. He's incredible on the ball, but he's not a great defender. So he yep. so he doesn't get so he doesn't. I don't class him as a great centre back because he can't defend. You know, no. and you can be. I think if you can if you can defend at a world class level, that you can still class yourself as a as a quality centre back, even if your passing isn't the best. Whereas the vice versa is not the case. You know, if you can if you can pass the ball well, but you can't defend, then you're not you're not really there's, there's no point in having you at centre back because you're not because players are going to get past you and not you're going you're going to concede goals and that's kind of the, the first priority of a defender even now uh, should be to stop chances and stop goals. You know, um, um, but like you say, the modern game you need to have all of it. You yeah. can't just have one or the other. You need the whole thing. Um, but there's very few with all of it, I think. And, and what I sort of judge with, with, with top centre-backs now, and the way I've picked this is, uh, first of all, I think, as you say, can they defend? It's very important. Um, and then also, can they defend? Are they are they sort of a leader? Which I think helps in, in the aspect of can they defend? Can they make up their own minds? Can does it? Do, are they dependent on a partner or can they be independent themselves and, and lead by example? And also, lastly, can they are they comfortable in coming out with the ball because like it or not? And I generally do quite like it. I think the way football is nowadays, you have to be comfortable at the back because if you're not and you get the ball, you're automatically a weakness. So I think all three sort of uh, come into come into play with my thinking. And I think where we start with number one, I think we'll probably both be saying Van Dijk because yeah. he he does have he does what we, what I just alluded to. He's a leader from the back. He's uh, very good on the ball. And he's uh, also very uh, good, good, good in terms of his defending, and the, he's the best centre back in the world, without any question. Yeah, 
I think everyone, I don't think there's any football fan who would not say that. Um, yeah, he's undoubtedly the best centre back in the world. He's got the complete package, everything. You know, mm. good in the air, good positionally, good defensively, mm. quick, um, great passing of the ball. He's a leader, organizer. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's not really. Uh, he's done it at every level uh, against every kind of opposition. He rarely gets beaten. Uh, you know, by uh, by attackers, yeah, world class, best in the world. And he also, and also, one thing I'd like to say with Van Dijk as well is he makes Joe Gomez look also like a world beater in some capacity because he takes a, a lot of the responsibility. He leads so well uh, that when Joe Gomez plays alongside him, people. I'm not saying Joe Gomez isn't a good defender; he is. But people, I think, think, oh, this guy is, you know, he's up there with all the others. And maybe when Van Dijk doesn't play, it doesn't look quite the same for Joe Gomez. Yeah. That's so. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, mm. I said before, there's number one centre backs and number twos. Mm. Mm. Some there's some top centre backs who are elite centre backs, but actually are number two centre backs. Mm. You know that they need somebody else with them to play at that level, but mm. that doesn't take away from the fact that they're top centre backs. No, just number ones. Um, but yeah, I mean Van Dijk is a number one for sure. Okay, Gomez plays better when he plays with Van Dijk. Mm. Yes. Well, I think number two. Um, when I thought about this, I thought number two was obvious, but. You could also argue that there is another person who could be at number two. Uh, I personally have gone with Laporte because I think that Laporte, when Man, when Man City don't have Laporte, they do look like a different team. He does most of the things Van Dijk does. Um, if Well, yeah, he leads, like Van Dijk leads. He, his passing range is outstanding as well, arguably as good as Van Dijk's. His defending is also very good. He basically does everything that Van Dijk does to about ninety percent. I think. Yeah, I just think there's a bit more in Van Dijk, but yeah. that's not that's not an insult in any way to Laporte, who is in a, probably a top five in the world centre back. I absolutely agree. Yeah, and I had the same dilemma, um, mm. <laughs> and I went with Laporte because he's got he's got more Premier League experience, and then mm. the other guy that we're probably going to say number three, um, uh, and yeah, for the same reasons, he's yeah, he's got everything. Really, that mm. the Van Dijk has like ninety percent of it, yeah. Mm. And Man City missed him when he wasn't playing, when he was injured mm. for most of last season. They definitely mm. missed, him. and that mm. was definitely a factor in them not being as competitive last year because mm. uh, the defense clearly suffered as a result of it. So, mm. yeah, he's absolutely uh, an elite, world class centre back. Yeah, yeah, and he's very deceptively quick as well, isn't he? he? Can he? You know, he's no slouch. He can play in that higher line. I think it's important to be quick now, isn't it? Athleticism as a centre back is very yeah. important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and he's he's very quick. He's he's got everything. Got the got everything. You know, he's he's very good on the ball. He's very aware, very intelligent as yeah. well. Uh, you know, he's 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 good in the dressing room. He's yeah, he's yeah, he's. <laughs> there's not much to say. Really. I mean, for, I mean, for, uh, Fra France could France could play Laporte and Varane, and yet they don't. But I I find that baffling. But um, I know, it, I know. Harry doesn't get in the France team. Is is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Varane's probably. Ah, I don't know. Actually, it's, that's a, that's a toss of a coin. I'd probably edge Varane just, but I don't know. Anyway, uh, number three then. So that'd probably be Thiago Silva. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, phenomenal. Or I mean, I thought he'd do well for Chelsea. Anyway, I'm sure you did as well. Um, but yeah, just the, I mean, I heard so I heard some quotes from Ben Chilwell saying how he dictates from the back and he tells him to come in a little bit and he tells him to go wide and he tells him to. Uh, watch his position and that's that's something that you don't see a lot of now 
probably do with Laporte and Van Dijk in fairness, but um, you know, you don't see a lot of it elsewhere. And Thiago Silva has come in, steadied this a sinking ship in many ways, with Chelsea's defence being very leaky um at times yeah. last season. Yeah. And he is that he's he's essentially what again, we're just describing the same things in a way, but I suppose the only reason I've gone Laporte over over Thiago Silva is I think Laporte's maybe slightly quicker across the ground. And I think that he also has all you know, I think Thiago Silva's best years they are ultimately I mean he was he was unbelievable a few years ago. His best years are slightly behind him now at thirty six. Yeah, but, yeah, I, I agree. Although I still think he's playing at a very elite level. I think he's yeah. his body, he's he's kept himself very, very fit. Mm. Uh, and very he's very in shape and you know, he's I'm certain he could do another season in the Premier League at mm. the same level. I'm I'm sure yeah. he could. Oh I think he will. The uh, yeah, I think he will. He's got an option mm. to end his contract. So yeah, yeah, he, the impact he's had on Chelsea's defence is incredible. I mean, five five clean sheets in six games, I think, they've had now, or something like that, six and seven. Uh, most of them with him at the back. Mm. Uh, he's, yeah, he's given leadership and organisation and discipline to that defence. He just calms everything down. Mm. Like, you can see it. I've, I've watched it. You know, he, he, starts, he just seems to have more time than other, yeah. other players. He just... Slows it all down. Doesn't. There's no panic. Other players around him feel that, and they 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 don't panic as much. Mm. So they don't get as many mistakes. Kurt uh, mm. Zuma has definitely benefited from mm. playing with him, and has improved as a result. And he's looking very good himself. He's in the yeah. same vein as as Ramos, isn't he? In not. I think Ramos is a more aggressive. Um, yeah. Trying to take butts back, grab the game by the scruff of the neck kind of defender, and he has a bit more attacking swaz about him but I think the, the same principles are that they seem to not disintegrate with age yeah yeah I think that's right and I think yeah we have to get, I think we need to get past this idea that players suddenly lose it when they get into their 30s because we've seen with multiple players now they keep themselves really they keep themselves in shape you know they, they mm. work hard in training they they, they you know they, they eat well they, they, mm. they you know, take care of themselves Mm. You know, like Cristiano Ronaldo, he looks he looks as lean and fit now as he did ten years ago, mm. and he's still Ibra- fine. Ibrahimovic, so. yeah, Ibrahimovic, thirty nine years old. You know, uh, and I yeah, so I think uh, yeah, 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 and so Jeremy, like you say, and now Thiago Silva, mm. they're, they're keeping themselves in shape and still playing at an elite level because they've got yep. that mentality to, Absolutely. and they've got that design, they've got that work ethic. So you know, for I was going to say, James. So four and five now will be interesting because I think those three were well. They weren't set in stone, but they they were they were more obvious choices. Yeah, so they like, were. Probably the next two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've, I will say them. I'll say them as a collective. I've gone with uh, Ruben Diaz as number four, and I've gone with Johnny Evans as number five, um, because. <laughs> Um, and I'll, I'll let I'll, I'll explain briefly, and then I'll let you go on to your selections. With with Ruben Diaz, I've been so impressed. Uh, like many people who come from Benfica, the uh, the Portuguese league seems to be a brilliant platform for youngsters to develop their um, talent. I mean, we've seen many wonderful players come from the Portuguese leagues, and Man City have benefited certainly with Edison in recent years, and his uh, he has been phenomenal um, in our in our Premier League. And Ruben Diaz as well. He's come in and he's looked so confident. He's adjusted to, to, to the Premier League life so confidently. Plays with a swagger. 
Loves seems to love coming out with the ball. Very big, very strong. Doesn't look like he's going to get pushed off the ball too much. He embodies everything that Man City wanted in a partner for Emeric Laporte for years, I think. He's a player who seems to look like he's got the full package. Um, and the reason why I suppose he's not higher on the list is because the other three are proven performers and he's still got that element of doubt a little bit until we see it consistently for a season or two. But for me, the early signs and what he did with Benfica and how he performed at Benfica, he's taken that across to Man City and he's performed wonderfully well uh, so far and looks like the missing piece in their central defensive puzzle. And then with Johnny Evans, it's more of a case of we saw Harry Maguire and So Yun Chu get rave reviews um, when, for their performances at Leicester because of what they did in terms of coming out with the ball and doing uh, playing with a bit of swagger. And I think Johnny Evans doesn't necessarily play with the same swagger, but I feel like he's the consistent um, common denominator in uh, Leicester's, the excellence of Leicester's defenders. I think if you play So Yun Chu and, and Maguire together, it wouldn't necessarily work as some might have had in mind when both of them, uh, yeah. you know, got the rave reviews. And I think Johnny Evans is one of, the, I think he's the most underrated centre-back in the Premier League. Uh, I, I know he didn't do particularly well for uh, his country recently. It looked a bit off the pace. But overall, for what he's done, I think he is, yeah, I think he nudges above the rest to become my, in my top five. Well, believe it or not, I actually agree with I actually had the same. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, and... Um, yeah, like you say, Ruben Dias has settled in well at City. He's he's looking the part. He looks like a good partner for Laporte. Looks like long, they've now kind of fixed those defensive problems. He's shown his quality. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And Johnny Evans, I agree completely. I'm really glad you said Johnny Evans. Mm. I've said this for quite a few years, that he's one of the most underrated centre-backs in the Premier League. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason that Mad City tried to sign him a few years ago. Mm. And I think Man United tried to sign him back as well. Like, you know, mm. Because he's a quality centre back and he's got a, he's a leader and yeah. a character and he he lifts other players around him and he's been consistently good in the Premier League uh, and yeah yeah so that would be my that's the same that's basically the same five so just bri- just briefly then just out of interest who would have been number six because I feel like there was there's a there's a small group beneath for me I think it would have probably been Joe Gomez uh, because I do <laughs> think his level has risen a lot. Um, in in a, in a short period of time, really, and I think he was excellent last season, and, and particularly integral to Liverpool's high line that they like to play. So I think I would have gone with Gomez. Yeah, um, one like Joe Gomez definitely would have been contender. But Zuma, I think I I think he's hmm. se- severely underrated. Um, hmm. Always rated him as a centre back. Maybe Gabriel. He just, he just and Gabriel, he was the other one I was thinking about as well. So yeah. Um, that the, yeah, that would be those. Those three would be kind of the next. The next three underneath, uh, mm. and yeah, yeah. So it wasn't. Uh, yeah, so that's a, that's it. yeah, that's that's good. Then that's good. Agreement is good. Maybe not for promotions, but agreement is good. Um, yeah, no, that's uh, so that brings it brings us to a, a, a climactic end uh, where we agreed on all five picks of the uh, of the of the centre backs. Next week, move on to left backs, and I've actually foreshadowed this in my head, and that's hard. Um, that is very very hard. I found this a little bit easier. I I can only name my one. 
And then two, three, four, and five is very, very tough. So I'll have to think about that. Uh, so left backs um, in the Premier League. So we'll look at that. And then we'll look at another um, three topics next week as well, uh, all covered in 15 minutes or less. Although I'm aware that, as a disclaimer, that um, some topics have gone over 15 minutes in recent episodes. Uh, I apologise. Um, but don't hold me to account. This will be on Spotify, iTunes, Buzzsprout. I think, and any other uh, platform you could think of, it's probably there. It's probably there. We have a we have a cohort in the background that do all these um, wonderful things, and uh, got a wonderful editor, and they will put it up, and they will make it wonderful and shiny and brilliant. So, from myself and James, sh- shalom, and uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, take care, everyone. <laughs>